This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay. All right. So everybody wants to hear about Mashiach. So there's a lot to talk about, and I'm far from, far from anywhere. There's a lot not to talk about, and there's a lot of different translations of the Zayar and the Gemaras and everything else. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about Mashiach. Happens to be this week's parsha is parsha's Pinchas. Pinchas Ze Eliyahu. Pinchas wa, became Eliyahu Navi actually. Um, and as we know, Pinchas got a bracha from Hashem in this week's parsha. That it will be a, a bris of kahuna forever. And the Kodesh Baruch Hu said. I will give him my Brisi Shalom. Now, as we spoke a few weeks ago, when your body, all four parts of your body, your Ruach, and your Nefesh, and your Neshama, all the different four parts in your body, uh, or the Ruach, Afar, Mayim, and, uh, what's the fourth one? My, and Aish are all working together, then a person, then a person lives. When one of them stops working together, he dies. So when there's Shalom, between your age and your Ruach and your Mayim and your Adama, then you tackle it forever. So, for some reason, Pinchas was rewarded that because he was Kanes Kinasi, because he stood up for God, because he couldn't see God being ashamed in public. That's the whole reason that Pinchas got up and he killed Zimri. There was no other reason. He could not watch Hashem be embarrassed in public. And therefore his reward was that he would live forever. His reward was that he would become Eliyar Navi, who lives forever. We know he comes to all our brisim. But it also brings down the famous in Sefer Gilgulim that Pinchas was a Gilgul of Nadav Vavihu, the two sons of Aaron that were killed. Now, if you rem- he was what? We're going to see. We're going to see. I'm going to explain to you everything you want to know. Otherwise, he would have been a hundred percent. He's asking a very good question. How could he be a? Um, how could he be a Gilgal of two people that were alive? Pinchas was alive at the same time as Nadav Avihu. It's a very good question. I'm going to give you a good answer. It's Hashem. So let's just take a look at what they did. Okay, what do they do? Pashas Shvini. Who was so great when he had the two punishments? Who was so great? Who was so great? You see, Eliyar Novi, right? He's in. It's because Eliyar Novi said Lashon Haran Klaisha. That's a whole different story. Listen, he gets to drink wine every Pesach by every Seder. It can't be so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and today, guys are buying nice, good wine, you know? All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so just really fast. What what are the reasons that they died, right? So one of the reasons were, there were three reasons. One of the reasons that they drank wine before they came into the base of Middash. One of the reasons is that the fire that was supposed to start the Mishkan was supposed to come down from Shemayim hadn't come down. They brought an H Dara. They brought their own fire. And another reason was that they weren't willing to get married because they didn't want to have children. Because they felt they were on such a level that they didn't have to get married. Now, the Rav Chaim Vital says like this, to answer your, your wonderful, you asked a very good question. 
Rechaim Vital says like this, that when Pinchas went to kill Zimri, so there were 125,000 soldiers surrounding the tent of the Nazi, I think it was 175,000, surrounding the tent of the Nazi, uh, 125,000, and he got himself into the tent by saying he also wanted to do an Avera with Cosby Basur. So they let him into the tent because they wanted him also to do the Avera. He was also a big person. Now, when he killed Zimri, so the halacha of a Kanoi, of a person that, that's reacting, that's a zealot, that, that's a zealot to do this, is that if he's going, he doesn't have permission to kill them only when they're doing the Avera. The minute the Avera is over, you can't kill them. The minute, the, the minute before the Avera, you can't kill them. And if you're going to kill a Jew who's doing this in public, because Bezdin didn't send you, if that guy that you're going to kill turns around and kills you, he's not Chayav Misa, because he protected himself. So to be a Kanoi, for Pinchas to be a Kanoi, meant that he had to kill them in the act. In the act. If they weren't in the actual act of, of doing Znus, he would have been Chayav Misa. He wouldn't be allowed to kill them. And if Zimri or any of his soldiers killed Pinchas while he was going to do, they were Pater. Because Bezin didn't send him. He did it on his own. So it says that he he um, he took his spear and he couldn't walk into the tent with the spear because the tent was being guarded. So he took the head of the spear off. He folded the metal of the, of the spear and he walked in with it under his, his jacket. And then he took it out, and they were in the act, and he stabbed them through the, through the parts of their body that they were in the act of, through those parts, and he stabbed them with the spear together, Vayitkar Shneem, together, and he picked up the spear, he was very strong, with the two of them on it, and he walked outside, and he said, this is what you do to, to, to a, a Jew who's, who's, who's with a non-Jewish woman in public and, and being with Vayish Hashem and doing this Avera, and... They were still shaking. They were still alive. And then he dropped it because he was a Kayan. So he, it says that he didn't, he didn't, he, he dropped it before they, before they died for whatever reason. And, and, and so it's a Kashu because he really wasn't a Kayan at that point. Whatever. I don't understand the measure exactly why he had to do that, but he was parished from them. He, he walked away from them while they were, and he killed them both. And he was in, he was, and then when the, when Shevet Shimon saw that their Nasi was killed, the 125,000 soldiers said, hey, we're taking your head off. You're dead. You killed our Nazi. You're gone. At that point, at that point, it says in the Seifel Gugulim, his neshama left him. He became so scared that his neshama left him. When his neshama left him, that's when the neshama of Nadavaviu came into his body. Now, how can two neshamas come into one body? So, it's a beautiful, beautiful medrash. How can two neshamas, Nadavaviu, with two people, how can they come into one body? So since we know then a man who's not married is only considered half. And since their Avera was that the two of them would not get married, so each one was only a half. Because they didn't get married. So Nadav was a half a Neshama, and Avira was a half a Neshama. So they talk, it came, his Neshama left his body, and, 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 and the, the Neshamas of Nadav Avira went into his body. Now, amazing. Now, not, what did Nadav Avira do wrong? Nadav Avira brought a fire on the Mizbeach that they, weren't supposed, that they weren't supposed to bring because the fire was supposed to come from Shemayim. Now it says Pinchas 
became Eliyahu Anavi. Pinchas, Nadav Avir, Eliyahu Anavi. There were four parts. There's a, whatever, you have to learn Sefer Gulam, but it's not, it's hard to understand. And it was also Yisro, and part of Yisro, and part of Yosef Atzadik. That's a whole separate Indian. But that doesn't have to do what we're talking about tonight. There were four different things going on. But he became Eliyahu Anavi. Now, if anyone here knows Navi, the story of Eliyahu Anavi was that he went up against a bunch of Nevi'im prophets, false prophets, who were Nevi'i Habal. They were prophets of an Avodah And there was a showdown. And the showdown was between all of those thousands of prophets and the Jewish nation, and were against Eliyahu Navi, who was the only true prophet. Eliyahu Navi was a Navi, and he was against them. And they had this huge, uh, if you learned this in Navi, it's a famous story. And they came up with this huge plan that they built two Mizbechim, two Mizbeachs. And they said, we'll see who is re- who has the real God. They said, we have the real God. And of course, Eliyahu said, so, so Eliyahu came with an idea. He says, okay, let's build two Mizbeachs, right? I am going to put an animal on my Mizbeach. And you put an animal on your Mizbeach. You call first to your God. Scream at the top of your lungs that your God should send a fire from Shemayim. Right? And if your God sends a fire from Shemayim, then I'm, I'm, I'm done. So what do they do? They took, we learned this in Navi, they took a guy and they put him inside, they made a hollow Mizbeach, and they put him inside the Mizbeach with all kinds of tools to make fire, right? And he was going to light up this fire from inside the Mizbeach, crawl out the back, and then this fire would look like it's coming up from the Mizbeach, and that the, the Nevi'i Habal were right! Now you know, we didn't know about this. In came a snake, and killed him in the Mizbeach. And the Nevi'i Habal had this whole thing planned, right? All the Jews were standing there. It was like a face-off to see who's got the real God. And they're, they're standing there, and they screamed from morning, it says in the Navi, till, till night, till the blood ran out of their eye sockets. That's how high they were screaming. And he was edging them on. He was trash-talking, Malia Novi. Scream louder, he doesn't hear you! Scream louder! And they were screaming and banging on tambourines and banging on drums. It was crazy! It was like a rock concert. It was like it was screaming and banging and ro- maybe they even had guitars. I don't know what they were doing, right? And nothing happened because the guy inside the mizbeach was dead. Along came Eliyahu Navi. took his carbon and put him on his mizbeach. He said, "Okay, guys, now let's see what I can do." Right? He took his carbon and put it on his beach, and he took huge things of water and he poured it on top of his animal to show that there's no tricks. And he poured a lot of water on the Mizbeach. And then he turned to Hashem and he said, Hashem, make a Kiddush Hashem, I don't know the exact Lushen. And a fire came from Shemayim and burnt up the carbon and burnt up the whole top of the Mizbeach. All the water and everything was burnt up. And the Klai Yisrael saw that Hashem Echad Rishmo Echad. So what's the Tikkun? It's Nehudeh. It's in Rav Chaim Vital. So the whole Avera of Nodav and Aviyu is... That when Hashem was supposed to send the fire, instead of waiting for the fire, they went ahead and lit up their own fire. And that was a chil Hashem. So along came Eliyahu Navi, who was Pinchas, who was the neshama of Nadav and Aviyu, and he had, he had a Gilgal. Why do you come back in Gilgal, guys? Why are we back here? Why is everyone in this room back here? We're here to fix something. Otherwise, you'd be up in Shemayim sitting next to God. You wouldn't have to come back to the sewer. You have to be down here for, right? You're hungry and you're thirsty. You gotta go to the bathroom. You gotta get cramps and you get headaches and fevers. When you're a kid, the doctor's gotta give you this needle and that needle. Who needs this? Right? Who needs the whole thing? A person doesn't come, you know, people think, ah, what am I doing? I'm here to work. You know, we went through this once. What do you work for? You work to make money. What do you need money for? To eat. 
Right? Why do you need it to eat? To live? To do what? To work? So that you can make money? To do what? To eat? <laughs> Sounds pretty silly to me. Right? Then you go to the bathroom, get rid of all that food that you ate. So now you're hungry again. So now you got to go work. So you can make money. So you can eat. So you can go to the bathroom. So you can get hungry again. So you can eat and work. And in between, you're tired from working to eat, to go to the bathroom, to get more hungry, to eat more, to go to the bathroom more. So you have to sleep in order to do that. That's it. That's life. I just, I just, life without Torah. That's all you got, man. Look at the guy. Yeah, you, you get a nice car. You get this and you get that. Right. Okay, fine. You know, big deal. So what do you have? What do you have in the end? What do you have in the end? What's in the bank? Right? So that's really what a person does his whole life. And the, the, the more you eat, the more you need to eat. Then you get fat. Then you have to go on a diet. Then you can't eat. Then you get all kinds of diseases. Then you really can't eat. So you, you're making money so you can eat so that later on you can't eat. So you're going to get sick and you're going to take pills and you have to make more money. But now the money's not going for food. Now the money's going for pills, right? For your blood pressure up and your blood pressure down and your sugar and your kidneys and your this and your that. And then you get old and nothing works, right? And you got to go to doctors and this and that. You never can go to Florida to see these people. It's all they do all day, right? They go to the doctors. The doctor tells them, you know why you're sick? Because you went to work to make money and you ate the wrong foods to go to the bathroom. And yet, so, so your whole life is really Zero. Absolutely depressing, sewer, zero. You're doing nothing. You're doing nothing. You're keeping something going that's going nowhere without the Torah. So here, so you come back down here, you're not down here to go to work, to eat, to go to sleep so you can work, so you can eat, so you can go to sleep, so you can work, so you can eat. That's not why you're here. You're also not here to shoot a basketball in a metal rim. I've seen, I've gone to the circus, I've seen elephants do it, I've seen doggies do it, I've seen monkeys do it. So that's definitely not the reason that you're here. You're not here to sit around and watch television on a box because that's mamish. That's no life at all. I don't have to tell you that. You know, you sit by your te- television and you have absolutely no input. There's no input. They keep showing you stuff and you want to, you can't tell them what to do. It's crazy. You just sit there. People sit there for seven, eight hours a day and they watch on the screen people who are making believe of what they are. And you know that. You know that that guy in a plane, you know, I have this one kid, he's, he's on his computer all day long. And all he does on that computer is shoot down people. And he's, he's an army soldier. And, the, you know, the graphics today, the HR is even better than he ever was. So he makes you this absolute graphic. You're the soldier. And you got the grenades. And you got the machine gun. And you're shooting all the enemies and all the Nazis. And everyone down. But you know it's not happening. That ain't you. You never went for training. You don't know how to shoot straight. That ain't them. They're not real. Right? And you're sitting there. Imagine if a Martian came down and watched you. Think you're out of your mind. What are you doing? You're not the soldier. And any movie that you watch, you know that that's an actor. You know it's not a true story. So, so, so why are you watching it if it's not true? So go do something real. Hashem put you in this world to do something real. You're dreaming. That's what, uh, my, my Rebbe used to tell that to me. I never, I never understood what he was saying. He said, watching television is dreaming while you're awake. For it is. Because it's not real. Watching television, watching movies is dreaming while you're awake. Now, why would you want to dream while you're awake? Why would someone dream while they're awake? Because they don't want to be in reality. So if you want to be in reality, it means you shouldn't be here. So by watching TV all day, what you're saying is, I don't belong here. Because life is reality. Fantasy is not life. So if that's what you're living in fantasy your whole life, then why are you alive? They're, 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 they're conflicting. It's an oxymoron or just a moron. <laughs> what are you doing? You're alive. Hashem gave you life. You could dream while you're asleep. When you're awake, you're supposed to live. 
So if he gave you life and you're sitting in front of a box and you know that everything you're watching is not true, so you're going into a dream world. If you're going into a dream world, why are you alive? To eat? To go to the bathroom? To eat some more? To sleep so you can eat so you can work? No, it can't be. It can't be. So there's a reason that we're here. And the reason that we're here is to be misakain, is to fix what we messed up last time. Another chance. It's amazing. Do you know how many billions of souls in the next world scream to God they want another chance? Nope. No chances. Your chances while you're here. But every guy in this room sitting here right now, every single person, Hashem said, I grant you a chance and 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 me a chance and you guys on the camera a chance. Everyone I call Lushan a chance. Every one of us, for some reason, Hashem said, one more chance. And what do we do? We should go on all of us, idiots, every single one of us, including me. What do we do with that chance? Fantasy. Show me a movie about a cowboy. Wilson, you're a cowboy. But he's not a cowboy. When you see the actor, the guy can't even ride a horse. They put a horse, then they take the, they, they, you know, that's a great, great, uh, they take the guy, they take the horse, right? Spielberg, he has this animation thing, right? And he puts them together. That guy never rode a horse in his life. And you're watching Star Wars. When's the last time you saw any of those guys in real life? So, so the Satan, the Satan, his greatness is to create imagination. Because imagination is not real. And we are grown-ups, guys. We are not two-year-old kids. You know, I, I take my kids to Disneyland. Now, when you go to Disneyland, I don't understand the adults. You have Mickey Mouse is in a costume, right? And Goofy, all of them, are, they're in a costume. The kids all go running up. Mickey, Goofy, can, you, can I hold you? Can I take a picture? And the parents are all taking pictures. You know there's a guy in there. You guys know there's a guy in there. That's not Mickey Mouse. If you see a mouse that size... <laughs> you better get out of your house. There are, there are. I've seen them. There are in Flatbush. Go at night, two o'clock. You'll see. But I'm serious. So you know, there's a guy in the costume. And, and I'm standing. There. I went to Disneyland last year, and there's people, goyim, Jews, whatever they are, and they're like, "Oh, look, Mickey!" And I'm like, "No, that's that's Joe Smith in there, sweating like a dog, getting eight hours, eight dollars an hour." <laughs> So what, what, what does that mean? So we're stupid? You think all the people who go to Disneyland have no IQ? Only half. Only half have no IQ. But the other half have IQ. So what, what happened? They created a world of fantasy. So that you come down to this world and you have stuff to do and you're busy like I told you last week. You're busy in the bar and the gold is on the floor and you're busy in the bar and you're busy in the, in the music and you're busy on the lamp chops and you're busy in everything else. And the Tachlis is not here. So in this week's parsha, we learn about Gilgal and about Tikkun and about Tachlis. They, Nadav Aviyu, brought a fire when they shouldn't have. What was, Nadav Aviyu became Pinchas, Pinchas became Eliyahu. Eliyahu and Abi stood there and he made the biggest Kiddush Hashem waiting for the fire to come from Shemayim, not to make his own. So the Chilo Hashem that Nadav Aviyu made such a long time before, by putting a fire that they shouldn't have put a fire because Hashem was going to send the fire. And the, the, the Kleisel was waiting for the fire and they said, we'll do it. So the Bikhil Hashem, they died for it. Now they came back through Pinchas, through Eliyahu Anavi. And Eliyahu Anavi made the biggest Kiddush Hashem with the same fire 
on the Mizbeach to be misakin what they did wrong the first time. No, you think when you get a chance, you get a chance to Torah, you know, anyone who thinks that this Torah is not real. I was talking to a kid this, this Matzah Shabbos. And, you know, the whole thing, prove me, prove me, prove me. You know, prove me the Torah, prove me God, prove me titsis, prove me tillin, prove me this, prove me that. So I said to him, you know, I, I, I love this story because it's like the best story about this Jewish woman. And the, the, there's this very fancy museum in, in France. What is it called? The Lavur, the Louvre, the, the, the what? The Louvre. The Louvre, right. So the famous Louvre in France, everyone, everyone who goes to Paris has to go see the Louvre, right? What's in the Louvre? The, no, you have to, I understand. The Mona Lisa. By the way, everyone thinks Mona Lisa is like this big painting. It's a little painting, a Kleinschick painting, right? And there's the Mona Lisa, and there's the flowers by Monet, Monet, right? And it's a big thing, and you have to be very quiet when you walk through, right? So the famous story, these two American yentas, two American old Jewish ladies, right? And they're, they're in Paris for a tour, you know? So they're going to the Louvre. So they come to the Louvre. And, you know, they have tours, you know, the tour, the tour guide, of course, that takes you is very into art, and just look at the strokes, and look at the lighting, and look at her nose, and look at her eyes, and wow, right? So, they come into the first room, the Mona Lisa, right? And everyone's like, oh, the Mona Lisa, right? And these two yentas are in the back of the line. Excuse me, let me look at that! <laughs> right? They push the other people away, and they go up to the Mona Lisa, and they look at it, and one, you know, one's what says to the other, Myrtle says to Ethel, you know. <laughs> Ethel! She's ugly! She's ugly! How can you paint such an ugly woman? I guess the French don't have uh, beautiful women, whatever. Meanwhile, the one who's taking him on the tour, right, the lady who's taking him on the tour, she's turning all red and green. She likes to rip these women's heads off. You, you're making fun of the Mona Lisa, what, are you out of your, out of your mind? Right? But, sh- but she's French. You know, like, not going to say anything. <laughs> okay. Fine, they go into the next room. Monet's flowers. Huge, huge. Ethel, come here! Look at these flowers! My little Miriam in first grade can paint nicer flowers! Finally, this woman, this French, huh? that's it. You start with Monet, I mean, you know. So she, like, lost it. She turns to these two Jewish women, and she says, what's wrong with you? What are you, what are you screaming? What are you doing? What are you talking about? Well, we're not impressed. This is not impressive. I don't think these paintings are anything. So this French guy turns to her and says, you de convert. And she says, Mona Lisa and Monet are not on trial. They're proven. You're on trial to see if you could appreciate art. God is not on trial! The Torah is not on trial! We don't got to prove it to nobody! You're on trial, guys. The Torah is not on trial. It's here for, it's here for a very long time. Hashem is here for a much longer time. He is not on trial. You're walking around like Myrtle. Show me this and show me that and show me this and prove me this and prove me that. I'm sure right. I'm not on trial. I'm proven. I'm running a world. The title is proven. I'll tell you it again and again and again. The weirdest proof of God of, of the Torah 
everybody has their proof and, 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 and the, the famous proof that, that what's it called has, um, Torah, that it says in the Torah, that a pig, that there's only one animal that has split hooves but doesn't chew its cud, and, and only the creator of the world could know that because there is no other animal as well as it's not found another animal. Anyone who wrote the Torah, if I was, if I was writing the Torah, I would never put in it something that could be disproven. If I'm gonna make a statement in my Torah that there's only one animal that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud, right? I can be disproven. So the only one that could write such a thing is God. Because God knows every single animal. That's their proof. And it's, 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 a, it's an unbreakable proof. You can't break that proof. And then they have the proof of the fish. That the, that the Gemara says that there is no fish that has scales and doesn't have fins. Now how can you make a statement like that? You, in the times of, of, of the Gemara, where do they live? In Bavel and in Israel. So that's the Mediterranean. How do they know the fish that are in the Atlantic Ocean? How do they know the fish in the Amazon River? How do they know the fish in the Pacific Ocean? So how can the Gemara make a statement, there is no fish in the world under the water that you will ever find that has scales and no fins? Another proof. Those are great proofs, and there's, you, there's nothing, you can't find it. But I, I, I don't need that proof. There's no other religion in the world that has one gematria that fits. Open up a Balaturim. Open up a Sefer Gematrius. This equals this. This equals this. Thousands of words that equal this Pesach. The Balaturim. If you just learn the Balaturim. You want to become someone who believes in Hashem and Torah? Open the Balaturim. How did he know that this one word equals this, 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 and this, and this? He would have had to have a super crazy computer. There were no computers in those days. There's no Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Christian that has one Gematria. The basis, smallest little thing. They don't have a gematria. They don't have svarim. Walk into Mir Yeshiva tomorrow. Look at the library. Rishonim and Rishonim and Rishonim and Achreinim and Achreinim and Rishonim and Achreinim and Toshabah Tzav, Toshabah Peh, Medrash, Zayar. Ask the, ask the Muslims to show you their books. They have a Koran. All these years, you got to write one book? Is there any Rashi? Is there any Rashi on the Koran? Uncles, Rashi, something, Klayakar, something. Well, how about the New Testament? Guys, you got huge church, you got the Vatican, you got scholars, and you know what they're studying in the Vatican? Torah. Manuscripts, vowels, targum. Why don't you guys write your own library? Who are your Rishonim? Who are your Achreinim? So, just, just look at the amount of books. And of all the Rishonim Achreinim, no one disproves the other one. It's amazing. And they're brilliant people. And Kashas and Terutzim and Kashas and Terutzim. There's no other religion that has anything near it. And we're not scared to, de- to delve deep. Because the basis of Judaism, guys, is MS. And if something is MS, you're not scared to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Because MS is continuous. And no matter how far you're going to dig, the Torah didn't tell us, if, if our religion wasn't correct, the Torah would, we were, would learn what the written word. Do not ask any questions. It's not for you, it's not for you to ask. Accept God's Torah. Should didn't say that. Ask questions, Rishainim, Achreinim, Tanaim, Amaraim, Tarashibiksav, 
ask and delve, go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And Hashem's not worried about it because you're always going to come out with the MS. Always. And that's Yiddishkeit. That's, that, that's Torah. A Gilgul to look at just this piece. You want to know that this is true? Look at this, just this piece. That Eliyahu Navi was Misakain. What Nadav Aviyu did, he did the exact opposite. They put the fire on. And he said, no, no fire. You guys try to put the fire on. I'm not doing that. I'm pouring water on the Mizbeach. Just the opposite. He didn't have to pour water. But, but Nadav Aviyu that he was trying to correct, they put a fire on the, on the Mizbeach. So he had to pour water on the Mizbeach to say, not only I'm not putting a fire, but I'm putting out that fire that I did many years ago that I died for. Hashem, now make the Kiddush Hashem. I'm sorry for what I did. And he was misocking it. And they were misocking it. And every single person in this room is on this world to be misocking what he did wrong last time. Big, small, it couldn't have been too big. Because it was big, you wouldn't be here. You'd be flying around with Malachi Chabala chasing you. It's not a pretty sight at all. And there's plenty of it going on. Okay. Anyway. So I don't I get excited about these things. I don't know about you guys, but these things excite me. All right, so that's really um, what I want to say on the parsha. To talk about a little bit about Mashiach. So the, we just finished, just made a see him on Saita. The last paragraph, the last page of the when the last page in Sota, Gemara Sota, says the following. It says like this. In the period which will precede the coming of Mashiach. That's what we're in now. Tell me if you recognize any of these signs. Chutzpah yiskei. Chutzpah will increase. Huh? I think the world's a little bit more chutzpah these days. With kids yelling at their parents and their rebbies and everybody doing exactly what they want to do. So, sign number one. Sign number one is not that right before Mashiach... It's going to be crazy chutzpah here. Guys are going to talk back to their parents. Guys are going to talk back to their rabbis. Guys are going to talk back to anyone they feel like talking back to. And girls will talk back to anyone they feel like. Okay. Okay, so now that you could say that, Rabbi, that happened a hundred years ago when you were around. That doesn't mean Mashiach's coming. Okay, maybe you could say that. I never saw chutzpah like it is today, but okay. Listen carefully. This is crazy. Listen carefully. V'yoker ya'amir. And course cost of things will soar in price, will increase. Hagefetite Imperia, the the vine will give its fruit. Bahayayin Bayoka. But the but the wine that comes from the fruit will be very expensive. Now, what does that mean? If the fruit, if the grape, right, the vine will yield its fruit why would the wine become expensive? If the oil wells have oil, and there's enough oil in the world, why would the oil become expensive? How long ago was Gemara written, boys? How many thousand? Two? Two and a half thousand years? Okay, two and a half thousand years ago, this Gemara was written. And the Gemara said, there will come a time when you will have enough of something but that something will become extremely expensive. Now it said wine, because at that time there was no oil. They didn't use oil from the ground, right? And Shemin and Yayan many times, we're not going to go into that. Okay, so when you learn this, you could say, 
Okay, Rabbi, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear the comparison. But I got to read to you something. Because this is nuts. And they're talking about this. this we just finished this, this, this daf in Gemara. The Marshal, I don't know how long the Marshal lived, but a long time ago. How long, Rabbi? Flying Rabbi, how long? How long do you think the Marshal lived? How long ago? A few hundred? 300? 400? Maybe more? Okay. Marshal is a translation, a parish on the Gemara. Okay? You ready? Because he's here, man. I'm telling you right now, Mashiach's here. I want you to hear this, Marshal. So the Marshal says, what's going on over here? You got enough grapes. You got enough grapes. Why are the prices going up? You got enough oil. Why are the prices going up? And he says the following. In Perek Helek, Asinan, it says, The prices are going to go up. Yesh Lefaresh. It didn't get expensive. It didn't get expensive because the years weren't blessed. The years were blessed. So why did it get expensive? Ella. Shahaya, Hayaiker, Ayidei, Hamaafsim. What are Maafsim? Futures. Afsin is Asid. The Mashor wrote that the prices of the, in the Ikfa de Mashiach, in the time before Mashiach, will go up because of something called a speculator. There was no stock market in those days. Ha'afsin means someone who's betting on the future. And because they're betting on the future, even though the prices are here, they're pushing the prices up. The reason, of anyone who totally disconnected from this world and doesn't know that oil is where it is, the reason that oil is where it is, is because of speculation. The United States government wants to stop speculators, to stop speculation, because they're the ones, there's enough oil for everyone, they're the ones who are pushing it up. So there was a Gemara that was written two and a half thousand years ago, that said there will come a time in this world where prices will go up, not because there's not enough, but because of something called speculation. If you didn't get it by now, we'll take a sledgehammer and we'll hit you in the head. Let's go on. It's an amazing marsha. It's scary. It's a scary marsha. It's talking about our markets. It's a scary marsha on this Gemara. The Gemara is saying, you have enough and the prices are going up. How could that be? Speculation. There was no such thing as speculation in those days. There was no stock market. They lived in Yerushalayim. There was no, there was nothing. Okay, let's go on. See if we see anything else here that, uh, And the government, the government, will turn to Minas. What's Minas? Hearsay. How do I explain that in English? The government will spread, the world's dominant power will spread the non-believing in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. No religion, state and religion separate. In our government, you can't talk about God. In our schools, you can't talk about God. So it says it's going to happen. That's what's happening. The meeting places will be used for znus. Znus is immorality. And the Galilee will be destroyed. Now listen to this. This is scary. But Anche Hagvol 
and the people in Israel who live on the border, Yisayvavu me'ir li'ir, will have to wander from town to town. Gush Katif, in the Gemara. Gush Katif, on the border of Eretz Yisrael and Gaza. The Gemara says that the times before Mashiach, the people who dwell in Eretz Yisrael on the borders are going to be pushed off those borders. But right now, that, that prime minister or president, whatever, of Israel is trying to make a deal is to push all the borders, all the Israelis that live on the borders, to push them off the borders and not to build new places. This is a Gemara about the times before Mashiach. And the Chachma of our Tzadikim will decay. And the people who get up and talk about and give Musr and talk about changing your ways will be despised, will be hated. By MSTNDRS and the truth in the world will be totally absent. Naarim Pinay Zikanim Yalbinu. Oh, this is scary. It's like it's like Mamish, they wrote exactly where we are right now. The young youth will make their elders' faces turn white. All the kids are going off to Derek, all the situations, they're making their parents sick. The elders will have to stand up in the presence of the minors. The psychology world. No matter what your kid does, no matter what he does, you gotta respect him. He can spit in your face, he can run away from home, he can do whatever he wants. The parents have to give the children. They turn around totally. That we have to stand up for our children when they walk in. We have to respect our children. That's what they teach in psychology. Show your kids some respect. I don't know. My days was show your elders some respect. You have to be scared of your kid. Father called me today. What do I do? I'm scared of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not funny. This is the time before Mashiach. All right. Let's go on. This is the Gemara. I'm not saying it's anything for my own. Ben Menavel of. The son will be a manuval to his father. And the interesting thing is that, okay, that, you know, a, a, a guy fighting with his father um, is understandable. And the translation that the article gives to this is that the young, the youth, will demand honor from their elders. A manifestation of the increase of insolence. The young generation will demand Respect from the older generation, which is exactly what's happening. And then he says something which I never understood, but Baruch Hashem, I learned this Gemara, not Baruch Hashem, but you know, girls, girls always had respect. They weren't like us guys. So the Gemara says that before Mashiach comes, Mas Kama Be'ima, the daughters will get up against their mothers. That's what it is. It's what we're living in. Kal b'chamosa, a daughter will, a daughter-in-law will rise against her mother-in-law. Oive ish anche beisai. A man's worst enemy will be his own family. His own family will turn against him. Divorce. How many divorces we have? Children turning against their parents. Children at risk. So many parents that are uh, mamish depressed. People work, working three, four jobs to support their children. 
when they're mitzvahs for their children to support them, they just have to support their children. And daddy, why don't you give me this? And daddy, why don't you buy me a house? And daddy, this. And this one, he has to support this son-in-law and that son-in-law and this son. And then look, the guy is working five jobs, his wife's working to support their children when their children are supposed to be supporting them. But this is Ikfad the Mashiach. And then he ends. Pnei ha-dork and pnei ha-kelev. This generation will have the face of a dog. What does that mean, the face of a dog? Really here, he's, he's yelling, they're yelling at the rabbis and the leaders of the generation. Because the Pnei Hadar, the face of the Dar, are the rabbis and the leaders of the generation. And what is the Gemara saying that there will come a time when they will have the face of a dog? A dog is always turning back to see behind him to look behind them. And the Mepharshim say there will come a time when the generation, when the rabbis will get up and all they're going to want to do is satisfy the people. They're not going to say what's right and what's wrong. They're going to say what their congregants want to hear because they want to keep their job. They're going to say what everybody wants to hear. They're not going to say what they're supposed to. Like a dog is always turning around. Is he behind me? Is he behind me? Is he behind me? So the rabbi and the leaders, whatever they're doing, whether it's not letting kids go into school because they can't pay tuition, whatever it is, it's the board, the board, am I making the board happy? Am I, am I the rich guys being happy? Am, am I keeping the rich happy? Are all the rich guys happy? Am I doing that? Am I giving them what they want? Or am I giving Hashem what I want? Ikfad the Mashiach says the leaders are going to be like, like the face of a dog. They're going to be busy looking behind them all the time to make sure that they're keeping the rich people happy and the powerful people happy. And then, he ends off Haben Enom is Bayish Aviv. A son will not be will not be embarrassed in front of his father. I have seen so many times where the son told his father four letter words in front of me. And had just with his friends and his father came to get him at four o'clock in the morning and he cursed his father and he spit at his father. It used to be that you snuck around behind your father's back. You did bad things. You know, we stuck around. Today I don't sneak around. They're like, Dad, I'm going, I'm leaving, I'm taking a car, and I'm coming home whenever I want. They don't sneak around, nobody sneaks around. They're not embarrassed about anything. Last year, I told you, when I went into that house, I'm a Rebbe, I walked in four, I met him. We're making out in front of me. Hi, Rabbi. Cover yourself up. Go into the closet. Run out the back door. Jump out the window. It's like, hey, it's Wildstein. Hey, Rebbe. I was embarrassed. And just continued doing what they were doing. Because it's a door that has no busha. The Gemara is saying this. So in the way, it's very bad news, but in the way, maybe it's a little good news because we're here. We're not far. Why? Why all this is going to happen? And the answer is, because at that point, we're going to give up. We're not going to believe that any rabbi can help us. We're not going to believe that anybody can help us. We're going to be in such a bad place that we're going to have to turn to Hashem. And that's when Mashiach will come. So the Gemara says, Upon what can we lean? On our Father that's in Heaven. Okay. So that's the Gemara. The, the other Gemara, which is in Sanhedrin, 
We're not going to have time to get into that. I'd like to learn a little bit, Zayar, on Mashiach. I have to be careful what I say, what I don't say. Because I didn't get clearance yet for an early Gamliel. But I'm going to say certain things that I feel I'm permis- I, am, I have permission to say. He says like this. I'm going to pick out certain things. Okay. In the beginning of the redemption, Mashiach will be coming. There will be many tzaras for us in Klai Yisrael. Why? Two things. There are two, there are two drachim, two derachs, two ways. Two things have to happen. There are souls. Now, this is very hard to understand. I have to be very careful. How do I explain this to you? When, when we left Mitzrayim, when the Jewish nation left Mitzrayim, there are, there's Klai Yisrael. Those are the 600,000 holy neshamas, Klai Yisrael from Abraham Avinu, from Adam, whatever it is, there's Klai Yisrael. When we left Mitzrayim, there was Klai Yisrael. There was also a lot of Mitzrim, Klipos, from the other side, who said, they're the winner, they got the money, they're going to Israel, let's hook up, let's hang on to them. And they were called the Erev Rav. They weren't really Jews. Hashem said, I don't want them to, uh, let, let them die. I don't want them to leave Mitzrayim with the Jews. I want my pure Jews. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Kirov. They want to be Jews. You can't, you can't turn them away. Hashem said, you're going you're gonna to see, you're going to pay a price for this. But you know what? That's what you want, Moshe. You're right. We can't turn them away. Take them. And as everyone in this room knows, the Erev Rav did not leave us alone. They made the ego. They complained that there was no water. They did everything that was wrong in, in everything that could you imagine that was wrong. And even by the, when the, when the Moraglim came back, it's by Yisraelim, Ha'am, 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 Ha'am. The whole time was Ha'am. Now that, when Shiach comes, has to be weeded out. God is going to bring the Jews the Messiah and bring us the third base Amidash. Those Nishamas from the Erebrav, those Klippos got to go. Mitzrayim is the beginning of the Jewish nation. Mashiach is the end and the beginning of the new Jewish nation. So, all those Erev Rav have to go. So, what the Zayar says here is that two things have to happen. He says, there's going to be a lot of Tzaris. The Erev Rav guys won't be able to handle it. Because their soul comes from the other side, from the klipa. The common, like he says, I say later on, that many Jews, listen carefully guys, many Jews, when Mashiach comes, will shmad, how do you say shmad in English? What? No, shmad means they're going to different religions. Simulate. How would you translate Yishmadu? Shmad. Huh? Convert. Okay, right. That's the word. That many of the Jews, because of the pain they're going through by Mashiach, will convert. They will join the enemies of Mashiach. Those Jews will join the enemies of Mashiach. There are many Jews today that are more anti-Semitic and more anti-the religious Jew than the non-Jews. Those are from the Klippa. Those are from the Erev Rav. 
Habez, to gather the Jews who deserve to be redeemed. Because of the great pain they will go through when Mashiach comes, the great wars, which we'll talk about next week. Their sins will be purified. And this will be the, the door that opens the Geula. That Hashem will pay back everyone who deserves to be punished, but they will make it. They'll, they'll, they'll go through the Tzaris, we'll go through the pain, we'll stick with God, and we'll make it to Mashiach. We'll make it to the Geula. And we'll make it clean. He says, and the other side, the, the Satan, the Yital, Ha, ha Satan as Shalom. And the Satan will take back his from the Jewish nation. These are his children. These came from his side through the Erev Rav. And he will take them back because they were outside of Klai Yisrael. They were just hooked on, just dragged on, just schlepping around. And this is very sad, but he will take even the holy children, the ones that are not holy anymore. And the ones that deserve to die will die. And those who deserve to be punished in pain will be punished in pain. Now, the Ramam says you shouldn't really learn this. You shouldn't really talk about it. Because you're painting a very dire picture and... We don't want to serve Hashem because we're scared that we're not going to get through Mashiach and we're going to burn and we're going to... Da, 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 da. That's, not, that's not why we're supposed to serve Hashem. This is not why we're supposed to serve Hashem. But the reason I'm reading you this piece is because there was something I said two weeks ago which I got a lot of reaction from. And this is where it comes from. That in the end of time, which we are right now, the Satan wants two things. One thing. He wants to take as many Jewish souls with him when he goes down. And the way he will do that is through kares. And kares is for being Chal Shabbos and sleeping with Anida. And therefore, the two Averis that today are the biggest Averis in Klai Yisrael, in the youth of Klai Yisrael, you don't see kids going to eat hamburgers in Burger King. I could go over to the same Jewish kid who's being Michal Shabbos and smoking a cigarette and tell him he has a cheeseburger and he'll say, ugh. No one is interested in eating non-kosher. That's not the thing today. I told this to somebody and he told me that uh, like there's a lot of guys from uh-huh. Domino's. And, and, and no, it's not, it's not the thing. It's not the thing. It's not, it's not, we don't talk Shabbos and Kleistro. It's not the thing. It's not the thing. It's not, they're, they're not eating treif, as far as I'm concerned. As far as I know. I don't believe that guy. They're not eating treif. This is their two averis. Chil Shabbos. And, I have to tell you something. That Chil Shabbos, there's no Hanah. There's no Hanah. You, you can understand a guy who's going to Domino's. You can't understand it. But he's going to Domino's, he's hungry, and it smells good, and it's got meat on it, and he, he, he can turn to Hashem and say, I'm a pig, and I'm human, and I'm lustful, and I was hungry, and God, I'm really sorry. Okay, you're human, you can make such a mistake. But to take a cigarette, on Shabbos, when you don't need it. Because every Jewish guy knows, my father, he smoked three packs camel, no filter. Before the man opened his eyes in the morning, my mother used to say, before my father opened his eyes, he was already smoking. He lit his cigarette while he was still sleeping. Okay? And he went to sleep, 
He took his last puff, and while he was sleeping, ready, he put it out. There wasn't like a moment that he didn't, didn't smoke. Shabbos? He did not smoke at all, right? And I asked him, I said, Dad, Shabbos, you, didn't, you don't need it. You just don't need it. It's a crazy thing. Ask guys to smoke. They don't need it. It's not like they're craving all Shabbos. Yeah, five minutes before Shabbos is over, uh, early minion, and it's in his free, it's in his drawer, you know? And, and you know right away, the guys are running out. Nah, I need a cigarette. But in the middle of the day, he's chillin' will do. You know, I don't need a cigarette. You know, it's fine. But I'm, I'm serious. You don't need a cigarette. You guys know you. So the guy who smokes on Shabbos in front of the rabbi, hey, check it out, man. <sighs> How about some rings? You know, in your face, you know? What's he going to tell Hashem? You hungry? No, I did it. I did it in your face, God. In your face. Now, Jewish kids are good guys. So besides that you want attention by smoking, well, it's a different subject. So all the rabbis can come running over to you. Oh, you're smoking on Shabbos. Oh, you're smoking on Shabbos? Okay, what's the reward for smoking on Shabbos in this world, in this generation for Mashiach? Camp this in the mountains of Colorado? We'll send you to Israel round trip for free? You can come to my house for any meal? How about a new pair of shoes and a suit, three suits for Shabbos? And we reward bad. That's our generation. It's very smart. It's brilliant. And the guy who's learning Tyra and doing mitzvahs and schwitzing like a dog to, 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 to sit and learn, nobody even looks at him. If I lived in this generation, I'd be out there too. I also want to go to Colorado. Camp Extreme, camp this, camp that. We'll take care of you. We'll feed you. We'll put money in your account. We'll buy you a watch. We'll buy you a this. We'll buy you a car. You want to borrow my car? No problem. The good kid, you, know, you can't touch my car. But this kid, he's smoking on Shabbos. Hey, maybe if he takes my car and he comes to my house and the rabbi gives him Johnny Walker Blue and Johnny Walker Red and he gets blitzed and he loves me. Meanwhile, the good kid's watching. He's like, why am I good? What's the deal over here? Why am I being good? Right? So this is the generation that we live in, the generation of, of rewarding the bad, which is like totally against the Torah, totally against what we stand for. But that's why we're going where we're going. And therefore, we have a chance. Those two things are in God's face. And He wants Kares. The, 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 the Satan wants Kares. And that's where I got it from. He says very clearly that before Mashiach, He's going to take, try to take as many of our children that He can, that He wants to belong to Him. So we're not stupid. So we know what the enemy wants. Let's kick him in the head. So whoever did these things, you can do tshuva. Karis is only if you don't do tshuva. You can do tshuva. You stand in front of Hashem and say, you know what? That Meshuggah Nassatan, he got me. He got me. He wants to kill me. He wants to take my soul. In your face. Get angry, guys. God wants to kill you. He wants to take your soul. He doesn't want you to see the third base on Megdash. He doesn't want you to be my Mashiach. He doesn't want to see you. You should see your Abba Zavasenu that are coming back into Chiesa Mason. He doesn't want you to see Abraham and Yisun Yaakov. He hates your guts. Let's go, man. Let's take it to him. No more of this stuff. I know what you want from me. Let's do tshuva. Shem loves us. He's our father. He's waiting. He's waiting for us to do tshuva. Just do tshuva. And Rav Shimon Bayichoy, right, who brought us to Zayar, he says very interesting. He says that it's a very beautiful time to live and it's a very scary time to live. And he says, the rest we'll talk about next week, but he says that something's going to happen in the world that's going to clearly show us that we're wrong. That Judaism is wrong and that our rabbis are all wrong. 
and that the other side is right, and that the Arabs are right, and Muslim is right, and it's going to be very clear. And that's the final test. And the people who still stick to Yiddishkeit and still stick to Hashem, the Zayah says, those are the people that will live in Olam Haba, and those are the people that will live with Mashiach, and those are the people who will see the Shekhinah, and Akash Baruch Hu will exact a vengeance on every guy that ever hurt us, that ever did anything to us. We're going into the three weeks. They will pay for everything that they did. But the Zayah warns us that something is going to happen that's going to make it look like the Satan is right and his side is right. And the Jews who have true emuna inside to the core, they're the ones that are going to make it. And there's a lot more in here. I don't have Rishus to learn it. Even what I just did was a little harsh. And I'm going to speak to my Rebbe and then he's going to tell me what I can say and what I can't say. So I just want to end with a, a fast thought, a story that I said a very, very long time ago. And I think it's very important because I'm talking about Mashiach in the next couple of weeks. And I think it's a very important story. It's a cute little story. It's a little bit through my imagination. Um, I call it the apple seed story. Some of you have heard it. But I think it's a very important story. So, this guy goes to the uh, supermarket and he buys apple seeds. He wants to plant apple trees. He goes into his backyard. He reads the instructions. It says, dig 12 inches, right? And dump the apple seeds, make a hole. Dump the apple seeds in, a little bit apart from each other, not too far, and watch things grow. Okay, so he got all excited. He bought like four or five apple seeds, puts them in the ground, right next to each other, next to each other, next to each other. 12 inches down, covers it up, waters it. Okay, now we can't see what goes on down there, but I can, because my head's crazy. So, so I want to dream and think about a little bit what's going on in the earth while these little guys are growing, right? So... You have these four little apple seeds in the ground, and they're like, so what's the deal? The deal is, we got to push, which happens to be very fascinating, because if you, anyone ever, ever planted anything, which is amazing, which is, there's so many proofs of God, if you take a tomato seed, and you plant it in the ground, right, what gives it the strength to push four inches of hard-packed dirt aside so that a plant can come through? It's not getting any sunlight, right? So it can't be the sun. It's not photosynthesis. It's not there yet. It's underneath the ground. Where does that energy come from? That little seed rots. First of all, it dies. So it's like totally kinegateva. The seed dies. Then from that seed, something has the strength to push six inches of dirt, right, aside, and a plant comes up. Where does the energy come from? You don't plug it in. If you don't plug it in, it doesn't have a battery, it doesn't have sunlight, it just has water, that's it. In every seed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God, puts an inert energy, an energy in each seed to give it the strength to grow from within. No scientists, they'll tell you it's genetic, it's DNA, it's DNA, it's this and that. But the honest, honest thing is that in the seed itself, in the seed itself, there's nothing. If you put it in your, in your jar... And you watch it grow. There's nothing there. It just, it just grows. It just grows. And if you look at a seed, it's dry. It's got nothing going on. Take a look. Oh, go to the store and buy a bunch of seeds. That's how you get to know Hashem. Buy a bunch of vegetable seeds. Buy tomato seeds and cucumber seeds. And plant them. And look at them. And crack them in half. 
Crack one in half. Take a look at it. Dead dry. Put it in the ground. Give it some water. Not only does this little seed push through the dirt, not only from this little white thing this big comes a plant, a tomato plant, but a big fruit. How does a big fruit, big thing, orange thing, come from? So they'll tell you there's DNA in the sack. DNA in a seed and millions of seeds, the same tomato. You'll never put a tomato seed and get a cucumber. Never. It won't make a mistake. You'll never put a cucumber and get a tomato unless they package it wrong. No way. Why? Why? Because Hashem put the kayak in that little seed to grow a tomato plant. And everyone's running around. Prove me God. Prove me God. Hello? That's even better than my firefly. Go, go, go to your garden. You need to, you need me to prove you God. Go to your garden, stick that little thing in the ground, and you try to figure out how it pushes six inches of hard pack. Pack it, man. Pack it. Stand on it, pack it, roll it, do whatever you want. Make that ground so hard. That cucumber plant's coming out. Oh yeah. I used to, I, I planted it. It's gonna push, it's gonna push. May take a little longer. So now you have this fight, this, this thing underneath the ground, and the seeds are talking to each other. And they're like, so you hear? There's a promised land. You gotta push and push and push, but after a while, I heard, you break through the ground, and there's a world. It's amazing. And, and, and this one guy's telling his friends, and, and in that world, there's a sun. Warmth. You don't know warmth underneath the ground. There's warmth. And there's rain. What's rain? What's rain? What's rain? Well, this little water stuff comes down on us. And we're just hanging out, and it's just water flying on us. It's like amazing. And then there's wind, and your leaves are blowing, and the guy's like, man, what are you smoking? What are you talking about? We're in the dirt, we're rotting, and you're talking about the promised land. There's going to be wind, and air, and water, and sunlight. Right? So, they're pushing. One inch, two inches, three inches. It's taking them already a week. Three inches, and all they see is dirt. Dirt, dirt, dirt. And one of them says to the other one, hey guys, it's not happening. This is fantasy. We're going to push, and we're going to push, and we're going to push, and we're just going to be keep going in the dirt. Nothing changes. Dirt, 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 dirt. And this guy's like, come on, man. we got to try this. we got to push. So one of them says, I'm not pushing no more. I'm done. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to hang out in the dirt with the worms and all the stuff. And I'm going to rot, and I'm going to die. And so, you know, life was good. I pushed in the... It didn't work and have a good, you know, I, I tried, Rabbi. Tried. You know, what can I do? And there's this one great apple seed. He's like the Rebbe. He's like, come on, you can't give up. There's got to be something to it. Doesn't make sense that we should go in the ground, push fine, and just continue in the ground. That can't be why we're here. You can't be here just to eat and drink and work and eat and drink and go to the bathroom. It can't be why we're here. And this guy's lazy and he says, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm not going to shut the story. They go another two inches, another two guys drop off. And they go another two inches. Anyway, there's two left. And they're three inches from the surface of the ground. There's two of them left. The guy, the chizik, and his best friend. And they're already traveling for weeks in this dirt. And they're not getting anywhere. And his friend finally tells him, I've had it, I'm not doing it anymore. He says, come on, we left all those guys behind. They're all rotting, they're all dead. It's just me and you, I don't want to be up there alone. Come on, come with me. He says, okay, I'll push one more inch. They don't know how far they have to go. He pushes one more inch. Now he's two inches off the surface. 
and he says, I can't do it. That's it. I'm staying here. I'm, I, this is foolish. I'm, I'm tired. I can't do it anymore. Whatever it is. And the other guy turns to him and says, hold on a second. You, we've been growing. We've been growing. We've been growing for 10 inches, 10, for three weeks. We've been growing. We met on a broken surface. But behind us, there's a root that's, that's 10 inches long. There's a root that's 10 inches long. We grew already 10 inches. So it's not wasted. Something's going on over here. If we could grow 10 inches, we could grow more. It's not like you just got here. There's growth to get here. If we could grow till here, let's go a little bit further. Okay. Another inch. He says, that's it. I'm done. And he stops. And there's one guy left. And he says, you know what? What are you pushing for? Stay with me here. We'll hang out. We'll go to the bar. You know, bar underneath the ground. New bar. Underneath, underneath bar. You know, they drink underneath the ground. And it's probably a good name for a bar. And he says, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going. I'm going. I'm pushing. And he leaves his friend Nebuchadnezzar there. And he pushes. Now, if you, I want you to just imagine that second when he breaks, when he breaks surface. That one second when he breaks surface. And all of a sudden, through his ear and a sky, and he realizes that all that pushing was for a reason. And he pushes through the dirt, and he, the plant breaks the dirt, and there's this freedom. There's no more dirt in its face. There's a sky. There's no rain yet, but he knows that that's true, then that's true. And he turns around, and he starts screaming down through the ground. Chayim! It was one more inch! All you had to do was push one more inch! And now you're dead and rotten. Why did you listen to me? And this little apple tree twig, whatever, it's growing. The next day it starts to rain. It's amazing. And there's a little wind, and he's this little twig. And he looks up. And there's a huge apple tree above him. He's never seen anything like this. With big, giant, red, delicious apples. Huge tree. I don't know if you've ever seen an apple tree. Their trunks are like, whoa. Huge tree. And all of a sudden, the tree bends down. This is my imagination. The tree bends down to this little guy and says, so how many of you started this trip? There's always one of us that makes it. And this little twig says, you too? He goes, yep. All my friends are down there. But you know what I am? I'm an apple tree. You know what comes from an apple tree? Thousands and thousands of more seeds. And even if only one makes it at a time, he said, look, an orchard. You know what is an orchard? Hundreds and hundreds of red, delicious apple trees. You know Why? Because there was one, there was one that believes the story, that made it. And from him came apples and apple trees and apple trees. And you're from one of those apple trees. And from you will come more apple trees. And will continue and continue and continue to grow. That's a Muna. Every guy in this room right now, every one of us is an apple seed. Every one of us. Some will make it, some will not. Bezrat Hashem, in this room, all will make it. But you got to push. And it's hard. And it's not easy. But the Rabbanon and the Rabbis say that there will be a time where there will be a Mashiach, where we'll live in a world, no pain, 
No disease, no divorce, no hunger. Just sitting in the Shekhinah of Hashem, sitting by the Beit HaMikdash. And there are some of us that believe it and will push. And when the time comes, when the whole world will be against Yiddishkeit, which could be very soon, and when our own people will be against Yiddishkeit, we have to be the ones that believe in the Nevuah that the Rabbanam, that Sadiqim said that we will get out of this earth, out of this dirt, and we will come to a place which will be a very beautiful place. And Shalom Melech translates that the place of Gan Eden and of Elam Haba is called Ste Tapuchim, the field of apples, the field of apple trees. And the Schus, Eliyar Navi, Pinchas Ben Alazar, Baruch Hu should give us the same bris, the same reward, brisi shalom, a bris of everlasting life for our neshamas, for our guf, by the coming of Mashiach. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.